with me on my third book. And uh, he worked very, very much with me. I'm really honored that he would take his time. Um, if you know Christian, you know that he has a lot to give in, in the area of writing. And so I just was super honored. So it's an honor to be here with you. It's an honor to be here to uh, connect again with Lou Engel. And I can't believe I'm following Lou Engel. <laughs> like, no pressure, you know. Oh, my gosh. Lou is definitely a hero in my mind. He's been a hero in my life. I want to be like Lou. <laughs> How many of you want to be like Lou, you know? I, uh, yeah, when I see him, when I hear him, I've known Lou indirectly for about 20 years now. As I've seen him at different events, we've invited him to different events with YWAM. I'm with YWAM. And uh, come on, who's with YWAM in here? Come on, you guys are awesome. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, again, I, I love listening to Lou speak. But way more, I love watching Lou live. Because the way he lives is how I want to live. And when I see Lou live, I want to live like that, you know. My heart comes alive. Something inside of me wakes up, and I want to be like that, you know. And I just feel so honored that I get to, yeah, have time with him and Therese and I've also been a little bit connected now with his family. Um, before I share this morning, af is it afternoon, <laughs> whatever we got, uh, I want to announce I got some books with me. Um, it's really funny for me to have a book. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I grew up really shy, <laughs> and uh, I never had any ambition with my life. I grew up sitting in my room, staring at the ceiling. <laughs> I never thought I would do anything with my life. We had a grocery store down the street. I'm from L.A., and we had a grocery store down the street, and I thought, maybe I can bag groceries there. <laughs> like I had no ambition. And uh, I felt very much like a nobody. And if you would have come to me in high school and said, yeah, you're going to write books one day, I would have laughed. <laughs> Like, yeah, the only thing I was ever good at was spacing out. <laughs> In fact, I'm still, yeah, I still do it a lot. <laughs> People often ask me, where am I? I tell them, Danland. <laughs> it's a great place, you know. <laughs> I can go there every day. <laughs> you don't need a visa. <laughs> I was at Walmart the other day, and I was shopping with my friend. And halfway through, I'm like, where are the keys? And my friend's like, you were driving. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, but where are the keys? And so we couldn't find them, so I got back to the door. As I got back to the door, I'm like, I wonder if they're in the car. And we get to the car, and the car is running. <laughs> Which I don't recommend. <laughs> and I tried to blame my friend. <laughs> Why is the car running? He's like, you were driving, dude. <laughs> So, yeah, I grew up just feeling like a nobody, and I'm definitely, you know, not going to do anything with my life. But you know what I'm discovering? That the more you discover who Jesus is, watch out. <laughs> because Jesus loves to take our lives, even if we feel insignificant, and he loves to do crazy, wonderful things. That's who Jesus is. Yeah, so I have some books. <laughs> There it is, my name. <laughs> I guess I wrote it. Um, 
This used to be called imprisoned in Iran because I was imprisoned in Iran. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't want to ruin the ending, but I heard he gets out. Hopefully, hopefully you'll still like it. Huh? Yes, the book is called Cell 58. Okay? And um, I'll tell part of that story today. My second book is about the love of Jesus. I travel and speak about seven months every year all over the world, and I'm discovering, yeah, just the need for people to discover the love of God, and that's pretty much what's in this book. And then my brand new book this year, which Christian is basically the co-author. Um, he didn't want his name on the cover, which, yeah, but I want to give him credit, especially since some of you know him. And he designed the cover, actually, A Fresh Look at Fear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Christian wants to design my cover? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you know Christian, he knows how to do those things. Anyway, um, I meet people all over the world that are struggling with fear. And as I do, I, I feel very, yeah, compelled by God to challenge them with my own journey of fear. I have seen a lot of uh, preoccupation with getting over fear. And the more I discover Jesus, the more I realize that going after God is way better than trying to get rid of your fear. And that the more you go after Jesus, you're going to find an excellent byproduct as your fears begin to disappear. And so, yeah, there's not a lot of stories from that kind of angle. So I felt from the Lord to do that. And then my, I brought my mom's book. Uh, my parents are from Europe. And uh, we grew up in L.A. I've got an older sister and a younger sister. We all became missionaries. And so my mom wrote a book, Releasing Your Children to the Lord. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you want it? There you go. Take it. Take it. No, you don't have to pay. Merry Christmas. Um. The number one reason why people don't become missionaries, at least in Christian circles, who are interested in it, is their parents. You know, and their parents. <laughs> oh, my. So my mom felt compelled to write a book about what God told her. And if you knew my mom, she's very, very simple. And she just is a woman of intercession. And she would simply say, yeah, just thank you, Jesus, that I have a higher calling than just, yeah, to be with my kids throughout my whole life in terms of the kingdom. And she has just put the kingdom first above everything else. And um, in fact, I found out after I got out of prison in Iran that in the first public prayer meeting, this is what she prayed when she found out I was in prison. God, I pray that Dan is not released from prison until all of your purposes are fulfilled. Wow. <laughs> all I can tell you is I'm glad other people were praying. <laughs> I might still be there, man. Ah. Uh. And uh, really blessed, my dad's no longer with us, but someone came to him once and said, 
you know, all your three kids are over in the Middle East and Asia, and they're so far from home, and isn't that hard for you and dangerous? And he's like, yeah, I have a regret. They're like, what's the regret? He's like, I wish I would have had ten kids so they all could be missionaries. <laughs> like, Dad, why don't you want us around? <laughs> you know? ah. But, yeah, I'm really blessed with my family. Um, yeah, I love to honor them. My older sister was 19. She had done a DTS with YWAM, no idea what to do with her life. On a very ordinary day, she felt God call her to go to Nepal. She had no idea where it was. She had no idea what she was doing. At age 19, she bought a one-way ticket to Nepal. And she began to live her life there. She wanted to see if maybe something like YWAM, a missionary training center, could, could be birthed. And she went through a lot of good days and bad days. Good days were, yeah, learning the language and people getting saved and people interested in something like YWAM. But then she had hard days as well. She was in prison for her faith the first year she was there. She would call home homesick a lot. She would call home and just wonder if she had made the right decision. And I remember one day when she called home, and she was just, you know, wrestling with this thing. Yeah, God, you know, I think I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, I think God wants me here. But then why isn't it easy, you know, or why is it always hard? (laughs) Yeah, it was hard for her. She was struggling. And I remember in that conversation, we're like, Liz, what are you going to do? And I'll never forget her her words. She's like, you know, yeah, as far as I know, I'm supposed to be here. So I'm staying. Five years ago, she went back for the 25th anniversary of YWAM Nepal. There was over 400 people there. Seven training centers across the country. They've planted over 200 churches in the villages of Nepal. Go God. Uh, I get fired up. I want to be like Liz, man. Yeah. In the words of Misty Edwards, if you don't quit, you win. Amen? Oh, man. They started YWAM India as well, her and her husband and their kids. I've been in YWAM uh, 28 years, 10 years in Afghanistan, went to prison in Iran, (laughs) been there, done that, you know, (laughs) and um, Colorado for eight years. And then now in Kona, Hawaii, um, for the last eight years. Um, Yeah, you know, sometimes when you walk with God and follow Jesus, you're not really exactly sure if it's God. Like, sometimes you're kind of sure, sometimes you're sort of sure. When God called me to Hawaii, I felt peace right away. (laughs) No problem, you know, I just felt so good, you know. I just knew it was right, you know. Uh, my younger sister, she's been in, uh, living with her family. They raised four kids, living the last 28 years in North India. Church planning among the Kashmiris, or one of the unreached people groups of North India. So that's our family. <laughs> I love the fact that you're focusing on intercession over this weekend. And, and, and intercession has been such a major part of my life. But in my journey of intercession... It has been so intertwined with friendship with God. And intercession and friendship with God have been, become very seamless in my own journey. And uh, yeah, basically intimacy with God, friendship with God, intercession are so interrelated. 
and I've seen so much uh, life and joy come in my intercessory life through the relationship and reality of just simply having friendship with God. Let me tell you a part of that friendship even this year. At the end of years, uh, every year, I try to take a few days just to seek God for the next year. In December, I hadn't finalized how or when I would take those two days. I'm on a bike ride in Kona, Hawaii. As I'm on the bike, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, the first week of the new year, you're supposed to speak at J-Hop or speak at a, at a church in Manhattan. And yeah, and uh, that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm thinking to myself, if they don't invite me, I'm not going. <laughs> you know, I get back from my bike ride and there's a text from Danny says that my dad feels like you're supposed to speak the first Sunday in the new year in our church in Manhattan. So as I looked into flights, the cheapest flight was to come a few days earlier. As I thought of coming a few days earlier, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Dan, those two days off are supposed to be in Manhattan. (laughs) So the two days to seek the Lord for the new year were in Manhattan this last year. One of the things that's kind of special for me as I never get to big cities is I often feel I connect with God when I go into a cathedral. It just is a sweet spot of intimacy for me. As I'm walking through Manhattan, I saw a cathedral, and I'm like, I'm going to go in there. As I walk into this cathedral, I heard an organ recital. And as I look around, there was no one in the, in, in the cathedral. I sat down, and I got a 45-minute private organ recital all to myself. <laughs> Something like that would be extremely special for me. As I'm sitting down listening to this recital, just realizing how special it was, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Dan, you are special. I would rearrange the day, rearrange the schedule of this cathedral to give you a private recital. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Dan, wherever you go this next year, tell people that they're special. And Jesus wants you to know you're special that the interests of your heart mean a lot to him. I kept going, and as I kept walking around, I walked into another one. That one must have been a major tourist site. It was packed with people. And as I sat down, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, said, Dan, I care for people. And as I looked at all these people, he's like, Dan, as you travel the world this next year, tell people I care for people. And I finally went into another one. This one had the most ornate uh, sculpture in the front. I I couldn't, yeah, I had never seen such an amazing detail on a sculpture. And I'm staring at it, admiring the beauty. And as I'm looking at it, the Holy Spirit spoke again. He's like, Dan, I care about the details of your life. When you travel this next year, tell people I care about the details of their life. Jesus cares about the details of our life. He wants us to know that we're special in his eyes and that there's nothing going on in our lives that he's like not aware of, but he just wants to love on us over and over and over again. Another special moment that just happened in my life, so two and a half weeks ago, in YWAM in Kona, Hawaii, we have a big cafeteria. We have about a thousand people that live together in our community. Whoa, here's the camera. (laughs) Hey, what's up, you know? (laughs) 
And on Monday, I decided I would uh, go for lunch or dinner at 5 o'clock. One of my friends on the campus, his name is Uriah. Okay, and he's a bigger guy with a, uh, <clears throat> he had a very nice watch. And he had, uh, uh, and I remember <laughs> that, that as, as I was walking to the cafeteria, the Holy Spirit spoke to me about that watch. And I'm like, that is so weird. Like, why are you speaking to me about the watch? And the Holy Spirit says to me, Dan, I want you to offer him money to buy his watch today. Now, I see this friend every day, and that would be so weird to offer him money for his watch. Like, okay. I walk into the cafeteria, and I see him. So as I sit next to him, I decide to kind of slowly go to this conversation. <laughs> I'm like, how you doing? <laughs> He's like, I'm fine. And I'm like, that's a sweet watch. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's a really nice watch. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it is. I'm like, uh, uh, you ever think of selling it? <laughs> and he looks at me and he's like, why do you ask? And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, I feel I'm supposed to offer you money to buy your watch. And he starts weeping. I'm like, what's up? He's like, <laughs> that's just how we talk. <laughs> ah! He said, Dan, as you know, five years ago, I ended a very, very difficult season of my life as my wife ran away from me. Again, she was remarried by this point. Over these five years, I've tried to forget, but I've tried not to as well. It's been a struggle for me. I've realized I've had soul ties in my life with, with the pain, with the reality of, of what was. And Dan, just today, I've been meeting with my friend all day, and he's been challenging me to to get rid of all those soul ties. And he asked me, was there anything in my life that really reminded me of my ex, and ex-wife? And he's like, yeah, to be honest with you, yeah, it's this watch. Yeah, it's this watch. And every time I look at it, I kind of think about her. He's like, well, pray about getting rid of it. And as I prayed to God, Dan, just half an hour ago, the Holy Spirit said this to me. Yes, if someone offers you to buy your watch today, yeah, then you're supposed to sell it and get rid of it. <laughs> and half an hour later, I'm like, can I buy your watch? That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. Amen? Ah. Uh, my story of walking with Jesus is so, again, intertwined with intercession for me. It's so intertwined with intimacy with God. For me, it all started when I was 16. I grew up in the church, but what it meant to be close to God was in here and not in here. It was all about head knowledge, you know. It wasn't about heart stuff. And when I was 16, someone came to my church, and this is what they told me. Everything you do for God needs to be the overflow of intimacy with God. Everything you do for God needs to come from intimacy with God. When I heard that, I thought, okay, I want to do something for God. Well, what is intimacy with God? How do you do that? How does intimacy with God become not just a story, but an actual part of my life? So I took that afternoon off, and I found a river, and I picked up these rocks, and I started throwing them in the river. As I'm throwing them in the river, I started thinking, how do you do friendship with God? 
How does that work? And as I'm throwing these rocks in the river, a voice comes into my head. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? I'm like, what was that? <laughs> you know? So I kept throwing rocks. How do you become friends with God? We all love a friendship, right? How do you have a friendship with God that looks like your friendship with your friends? Or is that just kind of spiritual or weird or, yeah, how does it work? And I kept hearing that word. It was a form of a question. Hey, Dan, can I throw rocks with you? And as it kept coming, I started thinking to myself, where is that coming from? I don't think it's me, unless I'm psychotic, you know. I don't think it's the devil, right? He wants to throw rocks at us, you know, not with us. But obviously it's not God, right? He's only interested in the big stuff. My random world of throwing rocks is random. Like, no, it's Danland, you know, like he doesn't care. But I finally had to stop because it kept coming. And I'm like, okay, God, yes, you can throw rocks with me. But why? Why do you want to do that? And I felt like God looked down from heaven and said these simple words. Because you want to. <laughs> like, that's it? He's like, yep, yeah, that's it. And for the first time in my life, I began to discover that Jesus was crazy about me. He wasn't just crazy about what I would become. He wasn't just crazy about what I would do. <laughs> that the God of the universe was crazy about me. It was on that day that I began to discover the unconditional love of God. I don't know about you, but unconditional love of God's been a challenge. Yeah, it's unconditional, but I got to do this. Yeah, it's unconditional, but I better do that. Yeah, it's unconditional, but don't do this. On that day, I found out it's unconditional. There is nothing we can do in our entire life that will ever make God love us more than he loves us right now. I began to find out at that day that God never meant for us to live out of obligation. He never meant any of the decisions of our heart to be made out of obligation. I meet two kinds of Christians. Those that are living for the Father's approval and those that are living from the Father's approval. And it breaks my heart as I see people in their, in, in their heart of hearts. They're like, if I just do a little bit more, he'll love me more. And then there's the rest of us who are discovering this incredible truth that he loves us unconditionally. What do you do with the unconditional love of God? Oh, my goodness. When I began to discover the love of God, it changed my whole life. It changed everything in my life. That God loved me, that he loved me, that he loved me. You know what? Love is the deepest motivator of the human heart. When you know you're loved, you've got to respond. You want a crazy, amazing life of intercession? Man, let Jesus love you. Let the love of God so saturate your heart. When you know you're loved, all you want to do is respond. Because it's the deepest motivator of the human heart. And another amazing thing about discovering the love of God is it's really an unending ocean. My journey of discovering the love of God has kind of been like this. As life went on from throwing rocks, I remember this day waking up thinking, okay, God, I know you love me. What do you want me to do now? 
And God spoke to me, Dan, it's good to see you. <laughs> but first, here's more of my love. And life goes on, and I'm like, okay, God, I know you love me. Got it. Okay, what do you want me to do now? And God's like, Dan, it's good to see you. Bam, here's more of my love. And life goes on, and I'm like, Jesus, no, I got it. You love me. What should I do? And Jesus is like, <laughs> bam. <laughs> Jesus never meant for us to outlive the love of God. He never meant for us to outlive it or something that grows old. And I don't say this to brag, but the best time in my life with Jesus has been in the last couple of weeks. Why? Because the love of God is real. And when you allow it to overwhelm your heart, it changes everything. Because there is no limit to the love of God. When I'm 90 years old, I want to be in an old people's home. I love those places. You get to be with your friends every day. You get to learn their name every day. <laughs> They're awesome. And I'm going to get out of bed. It's going to be like, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? And he's going to be like, Dan, it's good to see you. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Bam. Because he always meant that it would be the overflow of the reality of the love of God. What would we do right now if Jesus walked through that door? I would quit talking. <laughs> you would quit thinking about this afternoon and tomorrow. You would quit thinking about whatever was on your mind from before. You would quit worrying about next week. You know why? It's Jesus. <laughs> Guess what, friends? He's here. He's here. The life of intercession is the life of gazing on Jesus. A life of intercession is, is one, a life of being overwhelmed by the one. <laughs> that is what it's about. Oh. If you were offered two things and you had to choose one of the two, $50,000 or $50, which would you choose? Fifty thousand. If not, we need to talk. Okay. Now, when you choose that fifty thousand, are you going to worry about the fifty? No. Why? Because the fifty thousand is so much better. This is the Christian journey. This is the Christian journey. The more I get blown away and overwhelmed by the reality of Jesus, everything else in my life fades in significance compared to the beauty of God. Yes. Compared to the beauty of Jesus. Ah, yeah. That beauty of Jesus led me uh, into, yeah, what, what I walked into in, in college. I studied business in college. As I began to just seek the Lord and walk with him, yeah, a life of intercession started to grow in my heart. And as I began to just spend time with God, the nations of the earth came very much into my heart. For my journey specifically, it was the nation of Afghanistan. Long story short, 
God began to put the Muslim world on my heart. I love Muslims. <laughs> Many Muslims are some of my closest friends. And God began to put Afghanistan dearly on my heart. And I began to walk the journey of going to Afghanistan. Long story short, I was 22 years old. I'd been accepted to work at a hospital in Kabul, Afghanistan. But the reality of going there had a lot of challenges. One, it was a total war zone, much worse than today. 20, 30 rockets landing on the city of Kabul, Afghanistan every day. And then business training. I had no business training after college. My last job in America is I was Santa Claus at a shopping mall. <laughs> it's not exactly business training. <laughs> and then money. They told me I needed $1,200 a month, and I had 200 bucks a month committed from my church. So I had no money. And all these challenges were there. And the journey of faith was like, yes, I'm going to Afghanistan. Yes, I'm going to serve Jesus. But all these other things were real, you know. And I'll never forget the day that I went into Afghanistan. I got to the airport in Delhi, India, which was the last transit point, And I'm standing at immigration. And as I'm standing at immigration, I'm thinking to myself, as soon as my passport gets stamped, and as soon as I go into the transit lounge, I've got my ticket to Afghanistan, and then that's it. Like, I'm going. I can't back out. And as I stood there, this fear goes, Jeet! you ever get that? And I remember, I just started shaking like this. And all of a sudden, this rationality started to take over in my mind. Like, Dan, what are you doing? Like, you can die in Afghanistan. Like, Dan, what are you doing? You don't know how to do business. You don't know how to run a hospital. Like, Dan, you're not sure God told you to go. You think he told you. Like, Dan, what if you die? People are dying there all the time. And I'll never forget as I'm facing these things, what I wanted was this. I wanted to not feel weak. What I wanted was to feel really confident at that moment. And the reality was, as I didn't. And I remember as I stood there, my, my heart, what, what I was feeling in my heart was to run away, was to run the other direction. And as I stood there, I remember looking up, and I began to think about who Jesus is. And as I began to gaze at Jesus at that moment, I remember putting my foot down, and I said this to God. I said, God, I don't feel ready to go. I feel weak. I don't feel confident. I, I can look at all these reasons why I can rationalize why I shouldn't go. But today, I want to make a stand. I want to live my life by what's going on in your heart. I want to live my life by what you say. I want to live my life by your character. Your character will define my life. My feelings do not define God. God defines God. And no matter how I feel, even if I feel I'm not ready, even if I feel I can't do it, I'm going forward because I trust you and I know you're good and I know you love me and I place my life in your hands again. Oh, the Christian life is about that. If you feel weak, if you feel like you're not strong, Jesus wants you to know you are not disqualified. Don't wait till you feel strong. Ha <laughs> ha, he loves to use the weak. 
Paul boasted about his weakness. Oh, I wish Paul was like this incredible strong guy. Maybe he was. But the way he boasted about his weakness, it makes me wonder, what was he like? Because I don't know about you, but I feel weak sometimes. You know what? Even in our weakness, we can step forward. Even in our weakness, we can obey what God's told us to do. Even in our weakness, we can walk again into that place of intercession to see God's victories won. (laughs) Amen if you feel strong, man. But amen if you feel weak. It's okay. Don't let it stop you. Ah, and I went into Afghanistan. I could tell you so many stories from Afghanistan about how God changed my life. One of the great challenges I had when I first got there was the reality of, oh my goodness, how do I get God's heart for these people? And so I remember I started praying. (laughs) And I remember my first prayer meeting, praying for Afghanistan. God, I pray you'll bless Afghanistan. (laughs) Okay, uh, God, what should I do now? (laughs) And God was like, "Uh, pray a little longer. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, okay, okay. God, I pray you'll really, really bless Afghanistan. (laughs) And God's like, okay. If you struggle with praying for super long times, hey, join me. It's okay. As long as we want to grow and change, you know, like, yeah. um, (laughs) Woo. So I went for a walk. I mean, for me, visuals really helps when, when I'm praying. So I went for a walk, and I'm like, what could I pray for? And as I'm walking, I see a shopkeeper on the other side of the road. And I'm thinking to myself, I could pray for him. So I stop, and I start praying for him. I pray for salvation to come to his house. I pray for his family. I pray for his kids. I pray for the love of Jesus to invade his life. And as I'm praying, I start to shake. And as I start to shake, I look up, and God gave me a vision. And in the vision, I see Jesus sitting on his throne. And as I see him sitting on his throne, I see tears running down his face. And I look up to Jesus, and I'm like, what happened? Jesus, are you okay? (laughs) And Jesus looks down at me and says, Dan, don't worry, I'm okay. These are tears of joy. And he looks at me and says, Dan, I'm really happy right now. Because there is a man. I made him. I know his DNA. I know his taste buds. I know everything about him. I love his kids. I love his family. And I really, really have always tried to love him. But in all of history, Dan, no one has ever mentioned his name at my throne. But today, Dan, you mentioned his name. And now I'm going to answer your prayers. And all of a sudden, there was a simple connection. I love the unity that's going on in the body of Christ. Because now it's so simple. Intimacy with God, throwing rocks. Okay, I'm discovering the love of God. Hey, it's simple. He loves that guy just as much as he loves me. And all of a sudden, evangelism and intercession for the lost totally made sense. Because it was really simple. (laughs) In Afghanistan, I could tell you so many stories. 
probably one of the most exciting parts of my, my time there was how God protected me. Where's the safest place to be in the world? <laughs> Amen. You got it right where God wants you. Nine times in Afghanistan I faced death. But every time God protected me. I got hepatitis. When I got the test back from the doctor, he said, we're sorry, sir, it's the worst case I've ever seen. I've never seen someone survive from this attack on their liver like this many blood counts. And I'm sorry, sir, but yeah, you have eight to ten weeks to live. Go prepare your, your life. So I went home, and I walked in, and my sister was there. And she's like, Dan, what did the doctor say? I said, it's not good. And I told her, and she looks at me and says, Dan, the doctor is not in charge. <laughs> And she lays her hands on me and said, in Jesus' name, get out of here, hepatitis. And I've never had hepatitis since. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's who Jesus is. The craziest time of my protection in Afghanistan came. There was this one day I was taking clinics to the mountains. I worked in an eye hospital. We provided eye care for the whole nation. And there was this one day when I took a group of doctors and nurses to the northeast of the country. If you look on a map, the western side of the Himalayas is in northeastern Afghanistan. So we took about 15, 20 of us, all the medicine, and we wanted to go to a remote village and hold an eye clinic there to see all the patients who couldn't come to the capital city for a couple of weeks. As we're hiking at about 11,000 feet, something happened that happened really fast. There comes a point in the hike when I slipped and I fell. When I slipped and my, I fell, instead of being able to get right back up again, I started realizing I was sliding. So I looked around me, and at that point of the trail, it was a very narrow trail, and there wasn't a lot of place on either side. In fact, it was on the precipice of a huge boulder, okay, about the size of this building. Okay, so it's a precipice of a huge boulder, and I'm actually sliding down the side. So at first, I'm sliding quite slow, and I'm just looking for something to grab, you know, a crack or a jutting out stone or something to grab onto. Well, there was nothing, and I start to gain speed. As I start to gain speed, I realize how serious it was, so I start to scream. As I'm screaming, my friends can't hear me. I was at the back of the line, and by this point, they were too far ahead. So as I'm sliding down and looking for something to grab, I finally look down. And below the end of the stone was at least a 500-foot drop into a dry riverbed. <laughs> And I realized, like, this is serious. <laughs> and as I'm gaining speed and gaining speed, I'm looking for something to grab onto. <laughs> and finally, about half of my body is over the edge. I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> I cried out to God, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I mean, I don't know if you need to do that, but it doesn't hurt, right? It doesn't hurt. 
and I swipe my hand against the stone like this, okay? And as I did in a last-ditch effort, I realize there's something in my hand, and in my shock, it jerks me, and I start to swing like this. I'm alive. I'm alive. <laughs> and after about a minute, I look to the left, and I saw a crack I hadn't seen, and I shove my hand in there, and it fit perfectly. As I'm holding with my left hand, I let go with this hand. What was in my hand was two blades of grass, okay, this long, like tiny blades. And then there was a twig about a third of the size of a blade, tiny, tiny twig. That was what was in my hand. It can't hold a human. You're right, I was there. So I'm holding like this, and I realize that it was a total miracle. And all of a sudden, I look to the right of me, and there was a crack I hadn't seen, and I shoved this hand in there, and now I'm holding on. Then I saw another crack above this one, and I'm able to push my way up and get to that one, and then another one, and more cracks, and I'm able to climb back up to the trail. <laughs> Go God. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. Three years later, I'm at a YWAM conference in Colorado. A friend of mine from Brazil, Silvana, walks up to me. She's like, Dan, we need to talk. I'm like, let's talk. She's like, three years ago, did you almost die in Afghanistan? I said, yeah, every day. (laughs) It's a war zone. (laughs) And she's like, no, 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 no. Did you almost die falling off a cliff? And I thought back, and I'm like, "Uh, yeah. She's like, Dan, what month? And I thought back, and I'm like, August. And her eyes got big. She's like, Dan, what day? And I'm like, thought back, and I'm like, 16th. And she's like, no way. She's like, what hour? And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't remember the exact hour, but I knew it was right after lunch. And her eyes got big again. She's like, Dan, check this out. (laughs) And she pulls out of her bag her prayer journal. And she opens it to the nighttime when she was sleeping because of the time change. And she opens it up to that exact day. And she translates to me what she had written in Portuguese. Dan, when you were falling off the cliff, the Holy Spirit woke me up in Brazil and said, pray for Dan for angels to save his life. (laughs) That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. I'm like, thanks for praying. I love it. I love walking with Jesus. Uh, But probably the time where, yeah, just walking with Jesus was, yeah, the most dramatic (laughs) was definitely when God asked me to go to Iran. Very much as a part of my story. I had moved from Afghanistan to Turkmenistan. And me and my friend got together one day. We were praying about what to do over Christmas break. The capital city of Turkmenistan, which is the nation north of Iran, Afghanistan, was on the Iranian border. 
So we started to pray one day. I'll never forget that prayer meeting. I'm like, dude, what'd you get? He said, yeah, I think we should go for two weeks and share about Jesus in Iran. <clears throat> He's like, what'd you get? I said, I got the same thing. He's like, what should we do? I said, we should pray again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could die in Iran. Like, yeah, I don't know. So we kept praying, and we felt like this tug on our heart. Long story short, we got visas. I got visas through my Swiss passport. My dad is Swiss. I'm a dual citizen. My friend was South African. And we went into Iran for two weeks. Like I said before, I love Muslims. We had an amazing two weeks in Iran. I don't know what you're hearing about Iran, but there's two to five million followers of Jesus. Iran has the fastest growing church in the Middle East. It is crazy what God's doing. It's the second day I'm there, I'm eating a hamburger and a Coke. <laughs> that works, you know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, uh, do you speak English? I said, yes. <clears throat> He's like, where are you from? I said, America. He's like, oh, I heard Americans know about Jesus. I said, I know about Jesus. <laughs> He's like, can you tell me and my friends? I'm like, sure. We go to his house and gather 15 of us and spend the whole night talking about Jesus. <clears throat> That's who Jesus is. Recent story from Iran just a couple of months ago. One of the ways God's reaching into Iran is through outside <clears throat> Iranians who've come to the, the, the West and they're, you know, throwing out uh, through the television, through satellite, through radio, Christian programming. And one of these uh, Iranians who was now an American citizen told us this story that in his uh, television ministry back into Iran, they often are able to get correspondence through mail. And with that correspondence, sometimes they get addresses of people that, who want to visit. So he told us that last year he went and visited some of these people in Iran, in their homes. And he walks into this one man's house, this Iranian pastor from the States. And as he walked into his house in Iran, the man says, yeah, I need to ask you a question. He said, over the last year or two, there's been one man coming very regularly, and every time he comes, he writes down this stuff for me, and he tells me to read it, and I've really loved reading it. Maybe you know what it is. He's like, okay, let me read it. He got the, uh, the, the, all these letters combined together and looked at them. <laughs> to his surprise, it was the whole Gospel of John perfectly written. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> An angel had been coming to his house and writing the Gospels of John for him. But yeah, we had a wonderful time in Iran. But at the end of our trip, everything else changed. As we got ready to leave the country, they took our passports at the border. As they took our passports at the border, we waited and we waited. And instead of giving them back, they came to us with an address. They said, we're really sorry, but there's a problem. And if you want to see your passports again, you have to pick them up at this address. We're like, what's the problem? They said, sorry, there is. Wait a few days. We need to work on some things, and then you can pick them up. Without any explanation, we went in a couple days later. 
As we walked in, we expected it to go quickly. They met us at the door and said, yeah, we need to talk to you privately before we give your passports back. And they led me up these stairs. They led my friend to another room. And as soon as, as they walked me into the room, that's when they began to beat me. For about six hours, kicking me, beating me, spitting on me. They finally dragged me down these stairs. They'd been doing the same to my friend in another room. Then they blindfolded us, and they led us outside. As they led us outside, we drove for 20 minutes. After we drove for 20 minutes, this van drives up, and they, they throw us into that van, and then we drove to this other building across town. As we drove across town into this building, they took us in there and kept beating us late into the night. They finally took all our clothes away, my glasses, my watch. They put us in prison clothes. And they finally blindfolded us for a last time. And they led us down these stairs. And they put me into one prison cell and my friend into another one. And without any explanation, we were imprisoned in Iran. <laughs> what is life like in prison in Iran? The first thing I want to tell us is about the greatness of God. I remember that first moment I was there in prison as I cried out to God, Jesus, how long will I be here? And I felt like God speak to my heart, Dan, you're going to be here for nine weeks. I was like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you get it wrong, you know. Maybe the nine was right, nine minutes, nine minutes, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I never knew how long I would be there. They never told me. But the day that I was released was nine weeks to the minute. Exactly when God said. Why? Because it's all about God. It's all about the greatness of God. I used to look at life like this. Oh, there's the greatness of God, you know? And then right below is like Satan. And yeah, God's greater. It's not like that. You know what it's like? The more I discover the greatness of God, Satan, he's like a little speck. Yuck. <laughs> like, I can't waste my time worrying about him. Ah. We gave Satan so much credit. Oh, my goodness. I want to spend my life gazing at the lover of my soul. He's so beautiful. He's so wonderful. He's so wonderful. And I want to be overwhelmed by him. And in that place of being overwhelmed by Jesus, guess what? We're going to get his heart. And he's going to lead us in the place of evangelism and intercession. And we're going to see a change on the earth. But it comes from staring at him, from being with him, and enjoying him in his throne room. Ah. Uh, my cell was two by three yards, okay? It's a tiny little room. I was in isolation the whole time. I had a dirt floor. I slept on the floor. I had a toilet and a sink. And this was my life. I had a steel door right here. And yeah, this was my life. What do you do in prison? You get bored. I used to go for walks, you know. <laughs> Oh, that got old. Oh. Yeah. One day I thought to myself, man, 
if I just had a ball, you know? If I had a ball, man, I could play games, you know? <laughs> Dan land, you know? Why not? And then all of a sudden I had an idea. <laughs> my underwear. <laughs> so I took my underwear and I tied it into a ball. <laughs> and then I created two teams in my mind. <laughs> and I created a game called Underwear Bowling. <laughs> it's a great game. And I, every team had like 10 players, okay? And every player had his own story. You know, some were coming off arbitration and some were in negotiation for their salary. It was really dumb. They had enough money, you know, like some were rookies and some had been there forever, you know. It just everyone had their story. And I would play for hours, you know. And one day the guards are walking by and they're watching me, man. I'm in Danland, man. And they're watching me bowl, and they look at me through the peak hole, and they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> this guy's been here too long. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. But to be honest, prison is no fairy tale. It's the worst time of my life. I was totally depressed. I wondered, where is God? Every day I woke up and I wanted to have faith. My faith seemed far away. Every day I got up to pray and I couldn't pray. Every day I got up to hear the voice of God, I couldn't hear the voice of God. And it just seemed like depression started to take over. And it was crazy. It was like a cycle. It was like I tried to have faith, try to, you know, do the right thing, and my life would go like this. And depression got worse and worse and worse. And as my depression went down and down and down, I began to discover that, you know what? Jesus is still real, even if we can't feel it. Jesus is still good, even if we don't see it. You know what? Jesus did not just rescue me from prison. He rescued me from me. That in my weakness, he was still strong. When I couldn't do it, when I didn't have strength, he was still mighty. Let me tell you some of the glorious things he did in the midst of my weakness. He took me to a courthouse one day, the, the guards. I found out I had two death sentences on my life. And I'm standing at the courthouse. They tell me about the death sentences, one for being a missionary, one for being a spy. And as I'm standing there, the judge walks in, and he looks at me and he says, Sir, this is it. Tell us today why. Why did you come to Iran? I would love to tell you I wasn't scared. No, I was scared. And I remember shaking there like this in my weakness. And all of a sudden that scripture came to my mind. Dan, don't worry when you're called before the authorities. For at that time I'll give you the words to say. And that scripture came to my mind. And I looked at the judge and I said, Sir, I came here today to tell you about Jesus Christ. <laughs> and when those words came out of my mouth, I'm like, what did I say? <laughs> Am I nuts, you know? And as soon as I said it, something began to take over in my heart. And I said it again. The boldness of God started to rise up within me. Every fear and doubt and insecurity started to fall to the wayside. And the love of God started to flow through my lips. All glory to Jesus. But I preached for over half an hour in there. 
I'm like, you need Jesus, and you need Jesus, and you, and you, and you. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. <laughs> and in the middle of my sermon, <laughs> unplanned, <laughs> I began to realize something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm free. I'm actually free. Why? Because you can't kill a dead man. You can't kill a dead man. And they can take this life, but they cannot touch the real Dan. My home is heaven, and I live for another kingdom. And no one can take that away. As we enter in into more and more intercession, oh, that we would have the kingdom of God and heaven burning in our, our hearts. Oh, man. When we realize that, man, we'll do anything. <laughs> yeah, they didn't kill me. <laughs> you probably realize that. <clears throat> they gave me a shower one day. <laughs> that was a good day. <laughs> I'll never forget, they led me down these stairs into this room. As they led me into the room, I didn't know what it was. They took off my blindfold. They said, sir, it's shower day. I'm like, great. <laughs> I speak their language. It's the same as Afghanistan. I walk into the shower, and they close the door, and as they close the door, I didn't hear the lock. And I look, and the lock was on my side. So I locked the door. And that shower was awesome, and it was hot, you know, it was so good, water pressure. And I'll never forget, you know, after like 10 minutes, they're pounding on the door. Get out of the shower, sir. I'm like, coming. <laughs> And I enjoyed that shower. <laughs> then they hit the door even harder. We said, get out of the shower. I said, I'm coming. <clears throat> I mean, what are they going to do, put me in prison? <laughs> uh, so I spent over an hour in the shower. <laughs> I finally came out. They're like, why'd you take so long? I'm like, I have nothing else to do. <clears throat> yeah. Another thing that Jesus did, it came in progression. And it started the very first day that I was in interrogated. It turns out that I was beaten by one man and one man only. And he beat me every day. And on that very first day he's beating me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said this. He said, Dan, today I want to start teaching you how to love your enemies. And I thought to myself, this is not a good time. <laughs> and he says it again. Life was all about me at that moment. So much injustice at that moment. I need to see my embassy. I deserve this. I mean, he's, they're not asking me the right questions. Like, wait a minute. No, they're hitting me for no reason. And finally, I looked up to God. I said, God, I don't know how to love my enemies. Please help. And he said, Dan, ask me what I think of that man. And God changed the subject. I love when Jesus does that. Don't you love that as we enter into intercession? All of a sudden, we get God's heart, and it helps us just forget about what we're doing because we're so enthralled by that. I love it. 
And at that moment, as I'm just staring at Jesus and saying, God, what do you think of this man? That same vision I had in Afghanistan flooded my heart. And I saw how God loved this man. He gave him his DNA and his taste buds. He knew everything about this man. There was only one challenge. And it was that that man didn't know it yet. And I'm like, Jesus, you really love him. He's like, Dan, more than you'll ever know. And I'm like, God, change my heart. Change my heart. And all I can tell you is God did a miracle. And over the coming weeks, he kept beating me, but God did a miracle in my heart, and I started to love this man. I started to bless him. I started to speak well of him. And I'll never forget the last day I saw him. I had no idea it would be the last day I'd see him. But they take me into the interrogation room, and it was an ugly room with bloodstains on the floor. And I'm standing there shaking, like, what's he going to do today? And as I stood there, something happened. Jesus. And I looked at him, and I said, Sir, if we're going to see each other every day the rest of my life, let's become friends. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we see each other every day. Let's be friends. Why not? He's like, no, that'll never happen. I'm like, no, it should happen, and it's going to start today. He's like, no, you're crazy. I'm like, no, sir, it starts today. And I stuck out my hand like this, and I said, sir, we can start by exchanging names. That wasn't allowed. My name was 58, because that was the number of myself. His name he had never told me. And I stuck out my hand to shake his hand. I said, today, sir, we become friends. And all of a sudden, he froze. Then he starts to shake. Then he starts to look around the room. It's just me and him in there. And then he takes his hand out of his pocket. And he reaches towards me. And he shakes my hand. As, as he shakes my hand, he won't let it go. All of a sudden, tears start to flow down his face. And as I hold his hand... He looks at me and he says this. He says, Dan. And he calls me by my name. He said, my name is Razak and I would love to be your friend. There is no heart too hard for Jesus. Jesus can change the hardest heart. And he shook my hand for another few minutes and he finally let go, and he wipes the tears from his eyes. He's like, Dan, I'm so glad we're friends. <laughs> I'm like, me too. <laughs> He's like, Dan, but I don't make the decisions in here. I don't make the decisions. I can't get you out. Is there anything you want, though, in the prison? And I'm like, yeah, I want a bigger room, <laughs> you know, for bowling, you know. <laughs> he's like you want a bigger room I'm like yes sir I've never seen that man again in my life but that night the guards came and said sir we have orders to move you to a bigger cell and I knew that God had changed that man's heart 
as we walk with Jesus, oh, let his heart for others overwhelm our heart because he can change every single heart. Amen. Amen. I'll never forget one day my friend had been released after five weeks from South Africa. He was released because of a phone call from Nelson Mandela. Kind of helps who you know. <laughs> <laughs> South Africa has bought, has, didn't come under a lot of the, um, you know, not buying the Iranian oil. They bought Iranian oil over the years. So they had a good relationship politically. But life went on in prison. And I'll never forget this one day. They put me onto a van, and I didn't know where we were going. They sat me next to an African man. And I thought to myself, maybe he speaks English. And so I looked at him, and I'm like, hi. And he said, hi. When he said, hi, I recognized the accent. I said, do you speak English? He said, yes. I said, where are you from? He said, Louisiana. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're an American. He's like, yep. I'm like, I'm an American. He's like, what's up? I'm like, dude, what's up? <clears throat> and I'm like, how long you been here? He's like, 15 months. I'm like, you're joking. He's like, no, 15 months. I'm like, why? He goes, oh, they don't tell me. I'm like, what do you mean they don't tell you? He goes, oh, they don't tell me. And right at that moment, they heard us talking, and they separated us. And I've never seen that man again in my life. I do know he got out of prison. He got out a little bit after me. But that night, I got really real with myself. When you're in a place like that, and, <clears throat> and, and you don't know when you're going to get out, man, every day I thought I was going to get out. Every day, I just thought, oh, my gosh, would they, today be the day? It never happened. And that night, I got honest. I'm like, Dan, he's been here 15 months. He's an American. What if he's here? You know, what if you're here 15 months? Like, Dan, what if you're here five years? Like, Dan, what if you're here the rest of your life? And that night, my heart sunk. And I'll never forget sitting in the corner of the room. I wanted one thing, and that was simply to understand. I said, God, I'll stay here my whole life. I just need to understand. How can this be the love of God? How could this be the plan? How could this be what you always wanted? And I heard nothing. And I'll never forget this moment. It must have been 3, 4 in the morning. I'm sitting in my cell and I look up to God, and I said, God, I want you to know I'm done asking for understanding. Now I make a decision. I don't ever need to understand. I gave you my life once and twice and many times, and today I give it to you again. Wow. Do whatever you want. If I sit here the rest of my life, you're still good. You're still wonderful, and I gave you my life. What happens when we give our heart to Jesus again and again and again is he usually has a wonderful surprise around the corner. For me, it was a couple hours later. They bust into my room. They said, sir, gather your things. First, I had to close the door, dissemble the bowling ball. <laughs> so I got my stuff ready, and they walked me outside. They walked me into a room I'd never been. As I walk into this room I'd never been, I'm like, what are we doing here? They didn't say anything. They took off my blindfold and said, get dressed. And I looked down, expecting another set of prison clothes. It was my clothes. It was my bag. 
So I put on my clothes. <laughs> they didn't fit. <laughs> I lost 55 pounds. <laughs> so I grabbed my jeans like this and my empty bag. And I thought to myself, why? Why are they making me get dressed? And my only thought was, is it must be my day of execution. Because every day I heard people being killed in that prison. They led me outside into a bus and they drove me to a courthouse. As they drove me to a courthouse, they had me sit down. As they had me sit down in a room I hadn't been, in walks a judge. Turns out he was the head judge of all the courts of Iran. And he stands up and he reads this letter. He said, today, because of our friendship with Switzerland, we choose to forget about Dan Bauman's file, and he's a free man. <laughs> and it was like Jesus was looking over from heaven. Surprise! <laughs> the best surprise ever. And as I got up to walk out of there, Swiss ambassador came up to me. He said, sir, you're coming with me. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> and as I got to the door, in their culture, which is the same as Afghan culture, which I knew, when you say hello or goodbye between men, it's a handshake. Except if you're very close, like your friendship is tight, it's not just a handshake, but you draw each other in and you give each other three kisses, cheek to cheek to cheek. It's a term of endearment between men if you're really close when you say goodbye. As I got to that door, that man who hated me the most, the man who wanted me dead, he grabs my hand and he draws me in and he gives me three kisses. Wow. And it was God's way of telling me, Dan, I've changed his heart as well. Because wow. there's no heart to heart for Jesus. Ha <laughs> ha. And I got in that ambassador's car, <laughs> and I locked those doors. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and I got to his residence where I was for three days. I'll never forget leaving the country. I'm at the airport with my empty bag, <laughs> just, you know, praying. <laughs> the flight was an hour delayed. <laughs> that was a long hour. <laughs> They finally called it. It was a flight to Germany. And I finally get on the plane. It finally takes off. And about 15 minutes after taking off, all of a sudden, all my emotions, and I'm just like, ah. Oh. And I thought to myself, Dan, it's for real. You're really free. As soon as I had that thought, I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard stories when there's a medical emergency on an airplane, they've got to turn it around and land where they start. And I'm sitting there just laughing to myself, like, Dan, no, you're mine. You're messed up, man. You're free, buddy. And at that moment, there was an announcement over the loudspeakers. <laughs> Are there any medical doctors on board? Please come to the back. <laughs> And I look behind me, and there's a lady lying on the ground. <laughs> you know what I had at that moment? <laughs> I had the gift of healing. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you just know, you know, you know when you got it. And I ran down the aisle, and 
I start praying over this lady in Jesus' name. And the stewardess is looking at me like, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. In Jesus' name. And then she looks at me and says, sir, are you a medical doctor? I'm like, no. But in Jesus' name, she's getting healed because we're not going back to Iran. <laughs> and she finally had enough of me. She's like, go sit down. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And I sat down. <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. In case you're wondering how to pray, I think that's the best prayer, okay? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen. And the lady got up. The plane kept going forward. And God... God rescued me. Amen? And God did not just rescue me from prison. He rescued me from me. Even in our weakness, he still wants to show himself strong. We landed in Germany and they offered a free breakfast because of the delayed flight if we had the time. I was in transit to Switzerland. And so I took it, I went and got some breakfast... And as I got my food, I sat next to a bunch of Iranians at a table. As I sat next to them, all of a sudden one of them looks at me and says, you speak English? I said, yes. He says, uh, were you on the plane from Iran? I'm like, yes, I was. They're like, oh, we recognize you. I'm like, yep. They're like, oh, did you have a good time? <laughs> I'm like, well, the first two weeks were good. Awesome, where'd you do? I'm like, so I told him everywhere we had been. He's like, how long were you there? I said, oh, 11 weeks. They said, oh, where were you the last nine weeks? And I'm standing there going, Jesus, what do I do? And he said, be honest, be honest. So I told him. It would be a household name, Evin, the name of the political prison. And I said, yes, I was in Evin. And their eyes got big. Are you Daniel Bauman? <laughs> And I'm like, yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, we read about you in the papers. <laughs> the government said they had caught an American spy. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, but we don't agree with that, man. We don't agree with a lot of what our government does. What do they do to you? And so for the next 15 minutes, they asked me the most loving questions in the world. Did the government beat you? Did they hurt you? Why did they do that? Why couldn't you see your embassy? Really loving questions. And finally, after 15 minutes, I had to go catch my flight. And I said, man, it's been so good for me to meet you. It's been such a healing for my heart. And they're like, wait before you leave. And three of these men stood up with tears rolling down their face. They said, please forgive the Iranian government for what they did to you. That is not the heart of the Iranian people. Come on. In our place of intercession, oh, that we would keep in our hearts the simple reality. Everyone on this earth was made in the image of God. 
And may that be so at the forefront of how God leads us in intercession, that heart of love and compassion. Uh, and I got to Switzerland. My family came. My South African friend came. And God gave me my freedom back, the freedom to look at the sky, the freedom to call a friend, the freedom to go for a walk, <laughs> more than four steps, <laughs> the freedom to open a fridge. But the greatest freedom I got back was that once again I could walk with Jesus. Once again I could throw rocks with Jesus. Once again I could discover the lover of my soul. And from that time until now, that's been my journey, just walking with Jesus. I continue to work with YWAM all since that time. I go overseas over half, maybe almost half the year. I go to Afghanistan a lot. I'm going there in January. I go to Iraq a few times. I've, I'm going to go there as well in January. I've been many times to Saudi Arabia and to Azerbaijan, and Turkmenistan, all around Iran. <laughs> and people ask me, Dan, you going back to Iran? <laughs> Not today. <laughs> I mean, I'm busy. I can't go, so. What is the Christian life like? Where's the fuel? What's the reality of a life of intercession? Man, when you discover intimacy with God, when you discover a God who unconditionally loves you, oh my gosh, you can do anything. You can do anything. And when the more I understand how much God loves me, and the more I understand the friendship that God wants to have with me, I think to myself, go back to Iran and tell them about that God, I'd be a lucky guy. That's worth living for. That's worth living for. Because we live for something bigger than ourselves. And that's what this conference is all about, that we live for the kingdom of God established on this earth. And we live for something bigger, and it's worth it, because he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.